Welcome to the Go All In podcast. I'm your host, Robert Bruss, and I'm proud to be bringing you these stories of everyday heroes right here in Sydney, Australia. Today on the show, our guest is Tim Collins from 4i Group. Before we settle into the show today, if you're a first-time listener, welcome back to the podcast. I know that you're going to love Tim's story of doing whatever it takes to break free of the corporate shackles and to find his own businesses. It's a really great story. And if you're a return listener to the Go All In podcast, welcome back. It's great to have you here. We absolutely love our repeat offenders on this show, as you well know. Make sure you just have a little peek at your phone quickly and hit that subscribe button on the app that you're listening in on now, and that way you'll never miss an episode. You'll always have some inspiration in your ears and in your pocket every couple of days. And if you're watching this video on YouTube, just scroll down and hit that subscribe button. And don't forget to ring the bell as well. That way you'll never miss an episode of the show as it goes live into YouTube. All right, one last thing. If you like what you hear today, please share this show with your friends and your family. Tim has an important message that needs to be heard. And if we can just help one person break through their barriers with Tim and his story and the way that Tim did, that can only be a good thing. And remember, there's no ads on this show. I don't monetize this podcast in any way, shape or form. But what I do ask is that you share this show just with one or two of your friends and your family. Alrighty, let's get into the show today with Tim Collins. As many of you longtime listeners out there would know, the topic of leadership is one of my favorite topics to discuss and to cover. And our guest today is an expert in that field. And, you know, it's, I don't think it's got anything to do with my military background. I think the topic of leadership was definitely not at the forefront of my mind through my military career, but it has certainly come to bear in my entrepreneurial career when you're in charge of people and you know you're paying people's wages it's really really important that they're productive for you and you're getting them to do what it is that you need them to do to be profitable so leadership for me is a really important topic and I'm always looking to learn more about that about how I can be a better leader and some techniques and tools that I can use to help get more productivity out of the teams that I run. And as you'll hear today, Tim started out in the corporate world, like many of us do. He was constrained by the boundaries of a system in the corporate world. And Tim quickly realized that the way that he thought about things and the way that he did things was a little bit different to the way that his boss wanted things done. Can you relate to that? I know that uh, many of my friends and family know exactly what that's like. It's got to be done a better way. But then the boss tells you that, no, no, it's always been done this way. That's the way it's got to be done. But lucky for Tim, he had some great bosses and he had some strong leaders that recognized that his potential for greatness resided not within a system, but within the ability to service clients and deliver on their needs. And once he was let off the leash, so to speak, he kicked goal after goal. And it's a really cool story. I know you're going to be inspired by uh, his background and the story that he tells. But like many successful employees, Tim wanted more and ultimately he wanted his own business. And all of the years within the corporate framework, that had set Tim up nicely to make the transition into his own business. Tim has a great perspective on leadership and he's highly experienced in working closely with many of Australia's top executives on the topic and in the space of leadership. 
Tim's ideas and thoughts around value-based leadership are not only interesting, but they're pragmatic and they're highly effective as well. I know you're absolutely going to love some of the things that he's got to say. I'm excited he's here, so please help me in welcoming Tim Collins. Tim Collins, welcome to the Galilean Podcast. It's great to have you here, mate. Thanks, Rob. You too. It's a pleasure to be here. Super, super excited about this one. Uh, leadership, as the regular listeners would know, is one of my absolute favorite topics. So looking forward to getting into this show today and learning about the Galilean mindset and your thoughts about leadership. But before we do that, I want to get to know you a little bit. Tell us a little bit about uh, your background. Where are you from? Okay, so as no doubt, as soon as I've muttered 10 words or so, everybody will be aware I grew up in the UK. Um, so I was born in the south part of the UK, moved a little bit further up for my childhood in Suffolk, which would be for Australians a little bit akin to kind of the Hunter Valley. It's a farming region, it's very rural and a spread of, 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 of sort of industry along the coast and a little bit further inland. So my school years there and then I went to uni in Lancaster, which is in the north of England and, you know, Lancaster is very different culturally from where I grew up. It's a real sort of industrial you know, yeah, sort right. of town yeah. and the people there, quite different, quite a different view of the world and a different view of, of me. You know, as a, as a southerner coming north, that mm. was the first sort of real eye-opening cultural shift. We don't um, really have that here in Australia. No, not at all. I mean, you know, Queenslanders get a bit of stick, you know, Tasmanians get a bit of stick, but... You know, it's all in good the, fun. It's all in good fun, right? And it's very much more of a, you know, a singular entity, you know, as a people here, um, which is great, right? Mm. Um, uh, some of the, the older parts of the world, you, you find these strange little eccentricities, you know, work their way in. You go <laughs> 10 miles down the road and people sound and act quite differently. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, nice, yeah. nice. And, and what's your background? Did you work in the corporate world? What university degree did you get? Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I went to uni originally to do African history, right? So, this is, you look back at these moments in life where, you know, things kind of hit a little bump and does that, you know, send you off on a trajectory that's the original one? just in a different guise or a different one. So my my view of myself as I was growing up was kind of Indiana Jones-esque. Right? <laughs> and you've got to go and study history you've got to go if you and want to study be Indian. history. So, uh, yeah, but it, it's interesting now and taking it right, you know, sort of back to the heart of the interview, a lot of the time history is the study of leaders. It is. You know, you read history at any kind of level, really for the most part what's spoken about is the people who stood up and stand out mm. and for and, and for almost all of time that's the leaders you know more and more now you know history becomes a bit broader a bit deeper mainly because the you know the population have got much more access to record their histories right mm. um but you go back very far at all so that's what it was and and what drew me to africa was you know both it being one of the oldest you know sort of parts but also as someone whose whose mother had had grown up in south wales there'd been a particular military incident in uh, africa where the regiment from south wales had gone into this action which was the most awarded for courage action in british military history to date what um, was it it's called Rourke, battle of rocks drift it oh. was uh, personified by stanley baker and a very young michael kane in a movie called zulu right um that some people may uh, may hold dear to their hearts and um it's one of the movies that I sort of grew up with. So my dad was was an infantryman, you know, mm. and much like yourself. He didn't jump out of things, but used to run two things you know, in a similar way. And uh, yeah, so we grew up with that movie. And, and so I studied that action, really looking at two very young, very inexperienced leaders. These guys were you know, in their early twenties, never been in a, in, a, in, a, in a sort of primary action before, and they led uh, a group of people through an incredible encounter massively outnumbered 100 to 1 mm. which they not only survived but 
they imprinted on their enemy combatants uh, a real sense that these were were people you know who really had something to stand for mm. um yeah so i studied that and that took me a route to to study african history and then the bump in the road was they cancelled the course at the end of my first year they actually just sent me a letter in the mail when i was at home you know on the vacation and said uh, your course is no longer available is what you should do and my reaction to that was essentially to say no i uh, got in the car drove 300 miles the next day back up to the uni campus and kind of got into it. Yeah, and, what the and, hell? Yeah. Yeah. So ended up transferring to what was my minor at the time, which was behavior in organizations. And that's kind of an interesting one because I think ultimately it brought everything that I'd studied as electives to, together to one place. I'd studied history, I'd studied politics, I'd studied business. And this really brought it all together, mm. um, all of those elements combined. What was also interesting is that's in the late 90s. And then behavior in organizations didn't really have a place in the mm. world. I mean, it's only really recently you know, sort of become common you know, business terminology, you know, organizational development, organizational behavior. By the time I graduated, they'd had enough essentially feedback from the people who were ahead of me that they couldn't get a job because they went to a standard corporate interview and nobody knew what their degree was in. What, what year was that? So I graduated in 2002. You know, that's pretty late. I was, I've, I've had a couple of conversations with some people here in Australia, some Aussies, not some, not some Brits, and some Americans. And one guy in particular, he was exactly the same thing. He got out of the military and he had all these leadership qualities and these leadership training and stuff. And he thought, oh, well, I'll just go and you know, I'll go and teach that. And, you know, the military, and he was in infantry as well, in the U.S. Army, and he had these really great skill sets. And he went to these corporations, and they were like, leader what? Yeah. They just, there was just something that just was not on their radar whatsoever. And likewise, the other way, the Australian guy, his name was also, funny enough, his name was Tim, and he was 1993 or 94, something like that. He was one of the first coaches here in Australia. Yeah, right. So he had a business, and there was a guy from the US that came here and started up a coaching company, and then like, he would go to these organizations, and they'd look at him like he was from Mars. You're, you look like a Martian. You don't look like a, like a coach. And it was really interesting hearing the evolution of how that came about. And even what you were talking about there, sort of almost 10 years later in Europe, it's still not mainstream. It's really interesting. Yeah, so what... Well, I think that the, the change, the semantic difference that they that they took, you know, just sort of renaming the course management and human resources, that really defined what it was. At that mm. time, what organizations wanted were managers. They weren't necessarily looking for leaders at the earliest level. They thought leadership came later. You know, once you'd done your management bit, yeah. you knew you had to basically control and command, and then you could learn the leadership as you went. Yeah. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I did that, and then went, as a lot of, you know, young people, especially young Brits and Kiwis and Israelis and so on, you know, go off into the world, I'd kind of muck around a bit, um, learning things in different parts of the world. And, um, you know, I came back from, from that, you know, sort of period of time, uh, most of which I'd spent either in Asia or in, or in Central America, a little bit time here, without a real sense of what to do. And I went and started applying for graduate training programs uh, with Volkswagen, you know, with uh, BAE systems, even with you know, the British military and military intelligence. And none of them really sort of grabbed me because they were essentially, I felt, going to look at me and tell me what I would, should be doing. <laughs> it was like, come in, you know, work here, you know, Volkswagens, you know, work ever in our business for two years, and then we'll put you where we think you need to be. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm right on the cusp of, you know, Gen X and Gen Y, and certainly that was the Gen Y side of me coming out, just like, don't tell me what to do. And so I was kind of bouncing around a little bit, and then <laughs> to an extent got sort of suckered into recruitment by an ex-girlfriend, right? So 
she had been working for one of the big recruitment companies for a while. <laughs> God, of all the things that you right. could dive into, that is like probably the hardest. Yeah, it's that is such it, a hard, hard business, a hard industry to be in. It's interesting. So, you know, having, you know, she introduced me to one of the company directors. And you know, so I had a, a real sort of lead in. I went through an assessment day process of which I was the only person to survive out of the 20 people there. So there uh, you go. That's yeah, how hard it is. That's one. And oh. then of the five people who started on the same day as me, I was the only one in the business after three months. Yeah. So it's definitely, you know, baptism of fire. And it's an interesting one because that was very much a, you know, sort of process driven business. You know, it was do this, get that mm. inputs and outputs, very linear. And very early on, that didn't fit for me either. You know, I, I, it doesn't sound like you're a very good employee. <laughs> Maybe not, mate. Hopefully, I'm a better entrepreneur, otherwise I'm in real trouble. Um, but um, what I found was that I would go and I would sit. You know, And one of the benefits of working you know, for a big entity, a big brand, is you, you get a business card which opens doors. Mm. So I would go and I would sit with you know, big you know, corporate, you know, sort of entities with, you know, global HR directors, you know, with the, the faculty heads of Cambridge University departments. That was one of my clients. And, and they would sit and they would listen to what I was being drilled to tell them. Mm. And then they would ask questions. And I knew that the answers to those questions lay outside of this very linear process, you know, that, that there isn't a, you know, an identical fit here, mm. especially when it comes to putting people into organizations where there's naturally going to need to be a little bit of refinement. So I tried my best for a year to stick to that linear process and I got some outcomes. But ultimately what I got was recognition from some of the senior people in the business that I had a very different way of thinking and a different approach. So what they offered me was an opportunity to go and work for someone who used to make people cry and nobody seemed to be able to work for for more than a couple of months. Yeah, right. Um, so that, But that was one of the absolute crucibles that really sort of forged my way forward. And that guy, you know, hold him up in very high regard. His name's Simon Carter. Um, if I, you know, ever have the pleasure of, you know, sort of uh, grasping his hand again, I'll be shaking it very firmly. So Simon worked as a bit of an outlier outside of this linear model, and he basically would sit with, you know, business owners of professional services businesses and work with them towards growing their practices strategically and mainly looking at succession plans. Mm-hmm. So that was very much about individual you know, sort of t- solutions and, and, and tailored outcomes and really trying to align people, you know, with values and with ambition you know, and with a, a real forward projection that you could kind of intercept someone at a, at a kind of an integral part of their career and say, what do you really want to get out of here? You know, do you want to be, you know, the, the partner of a big firm in London and really slog your way through, you know, or in, in Amsterdam or in New York or wherever? Or do you want to go somewhere different and maybe take a stake now in something smaller? Ultimately, a regional firm was mainly what we worked with and really kind of forge your own path and make make your way forward. And that, for me, was the absolute tipping point. I became fantastically adept at really kind of reaching these junctions with, with, with the owners of businesses and people that, that could come in and succeed them and was very, very successful at that time. But I was very much out of business model. Yeah, it's not, a, it's not the linear thing that not, you were trained to do or, yeah. or working. In many organizations, you know, I've worked in different companies as well that have very linear models. This is how to do it. And it's, I think it's just human nature to say, well, you know, maybe we could improve it. Maybe we could get better outcome. Maybe we could get better deliverables for the clients if we did it like that. And as soon as you put your hand up and say, hey, can we do that? People are like, no, 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 no. You've got to stay there. It's like. Yeah. Got a bite tongue and move on. That's hard. That's it's hard difficult. from a personal and it's difficult. Life. And this was me in my in my early twenties. Yeah. Right. You know, going against Even people harder. with a lot of experience yeah. who'd really made their way and, and, and been very successful by basically saying, sit down, do that, keep doing it until you get the outcome. Mm. So, you know, those years, 
you know, with um, with Simon and, and he went off you know to work for Deloitte in London and kind of left me to, to sort of you know pick up you know the, the the chair and keep running that really sort of set me up with the confidence that trying to adapt and trying to provide a service that was really just focused on the specific outcomes of that one customer, mm. that was absolutely the way for me to go forward. Did you enjoy that aspect of it? Oh, it was fantastic. I mean, that was the reason. I mean, so you, yeah. I'd, use, I'd drive a thousand miles a week. You know, I had Gosh. this enormous region yeah. that I was running all over and, and I just kind of kept going, kept going, kept going. And, and I, I couldn't keep up with the amount of work that I was generating. Mm. I got given an EA to share with one of the directors and that you know, furrowed a few brows and bruised a few egos that I had somebody helping me. Um, and then I got given this very, very experienced woman to pick up some of the workload and you know, she had 15 years more experience than me and she was coming to me so I'm just, I'm really glad you know, I can you know, do this work with you and, and, and we can do this thing. So yeah. again, that was an awakening moment very early on to go, okay, so there is a different way here. There is another opportunity. Yeah. Um, something else that, that I then started to reflect on was, you know, you could bring just a new leader in, you know, keep the same customers, the same team, really the same entity, but just bring a new leader in and get a completely different outcome. Because mm. what some of these regional firms would find was that they'd bring somebody in that didn't fit right. And just doing that really caused some damage, right? You know, customers disliked the new approach. You know, a lot of the team that they'd nurtured and cultivated would either just go or would start really performing mm. you know, far you know, far differently and often worse. And that caused me to reflect on some of the experiences I'd had even really early on in teenage years where I worked as a lifeguard in a, in a public pool and the same team, you know, the same people in the pool, but having a different, different manager boss. come on shift would change the whole thing. So there's a lot, all these different you know, sort of inferences came together. And then I reached another fork in the road personally where I, I broke up with a long-term girlfriend who lived in Holland and kind of set me you know, on a bit of a, a sort of a, a trajectory of, okay, well, now I have no restraints on where I can go. Mm. This was just sort of before the GFC where there was a lot of demand for the skills that I'd kind of cultivated. Um, and I was getting approaches quite often from different firms saying hey come and do what you do do it for us come and do it in america come and do it in australia come and do it in asia mm-hmm. so to an extent I, I was in a in a fortunate position that i'd created demand where i could just basically sit back and go okay well i would like to go there mm. so that's what brought me to australia ultimately there wasn't some sort of grand strategic plan it was a job it was a job it yeah. was a job as a two-year contract yeah show up with a bag of clothes and away you go yeah and i think the where did you land? Are you here in Sydney? Yeah, so I landed in Sydney and then ultimately went to uh, run a, a, a what, ter- <laughs> what turned out to be a turnaround. It was supposed to be just take a beautiful thing and, and make it bigger. Uh, ended up being a complete turnaround of a, of a business unit in Parramatta. Right. So I remember the exact moment in the conversation uh, that took me out to Parramatta. I was still in the UK. I was talking to one of the Australian directors of this big business here. And he said, well, look, really, what is it that you want? What do you want to do? You know, we look at you as a high performer. You can come into the city, just run a desk, make loads of money. Mm. You know, you want to lead some people. Okay, we could do that. What do you want to do? And I said, you know what, Matt, um, Matt Gribble, his name was, what I really want to do is grow a business and build a business. And I can, I'll do that from anywhere. You know, I have no airs and graces on where I do that. You know, I run a business out of a phone box. You just show me the business case that allows me to grow it and build it. That mm. was the line. I don't know where it came from, but that was the line I gave him. And he kind of went quiet on the phone for a few minutes, and I thought, oh, <laughs> "What did I say?" I wrong? said the wrong thing. <laughs> um, and then he said, "Okay, I know exactly where to put you. This is the opportunity." 
And what he described to me was a business in Parramatta, which is a really fast-growing region then. So this is 2005 we were having this conversation. It was a fast-growing region, and they had one of the highest-performing teams in the country in Parramatta. So I said, yeah, okay, great. That sounds fine. Basically signed up on the spot to go and work out in Parramatta. And then I went and had a couple of conversations with some you know, fellow Brits you know, who, who had worked out in Sydney, and they said, okay, so the one thing that you absolutely mustn't do is go and work in Parramatta. I said, that, they all get you with that. They sell you the dream of this beautiful Sydney escape and then they send you out to Parramatta to earn yeah. your dues, right? Yeah. I kind of went, oh, okay, well, that's all right. I have my plan. I know what I'm there to do. Um, so I arrived out here late 2006 by the time everything had sort of you know, worked its way through and found a, a business which had been very, very high performing, but really only because of the guy that was leading it. Right. So again, this reinforcement of it's the leader that counts. Mm. You know, he, he was a fantastically successful guy. He'd left pretty much as I arrived to go and set up his own business, which you know still goes today and is one of the best performing businesses of that type in that region. And what he left behind him was a team that was very, very aligned to his way of doing things mm. and to an extent very dependent on his way of doing things. And I came in with a very different approach, an approach which I look back on now with a little bit of embarrassment. Yeah. Like I'm here, I'll sit here today at 38 looking back at my you know, 26 year old self and I kind of wish I could just go back there and pat myself on the head and say, <laughs> well, you, it's the podcasting question isn't it what would you say to your 20 year olds don't do that <laughs> <laughs> I'd, mate, I'd tell you I, I, I'd say a lot to my 26 year old self but a lot of it would actually be you know be quieter and mm. listen a lot more mm. um, you know I think I, I, you know, to an extent at that time my success had you know became my undoing I was so certain that I was do, I knew what to do and I knew what the right thing was that I, I really you know was not sensitized enough to just you know paying attention having intention but really paying attention to that intention and what what is it that I'm here to do and how's the best way for me to do that through you you know through my team through the customers um, so yeah I did that for a few years you know we were successful almost in spite of ourselves mm. um, and it was uh, it was a, it was a very successful period for the business. For me, but for me, lesser so. I, I had a lot going on um, you know, my personal life. I had a, had a, a couple of bereavements uh, back home that, that really sort of took, took the edge off my sort of um, passion and, uh, and self-belief, I think, to an extent. But I was fortunate as well at that time to meet the lady who's now my wife, and she really helped me together. So we went overseas for a while, the two of us, and then we came back. It was me really starting to, to think about, okay, where do I go and how do I maximize this skill set? And what I wanted to do then was really double down on the leadership element. So mm. I said, okay, what's the fastest route for me to get access now to the most senior leaders I can? And with a recruitment skill set, the next jump is executive search. Mm-hmm. So I went to work for what is you know, still a, a great Australian search firm, Derwent Executive. Um, you know, ben Derwent is, is, a, is an absolute store of, of the executive search industry, a fantastic guy. Uh, and he's created a marvelous business. And in the the short period of time that I was there, I, I learned a hell of a lot from Ben, you know, and from you know sort of his key people about you know how to interpret, how to understand the real pressures on leaders at the absolute cutting edge, you know, of, of Australian business. Mm-hmm. You know, most of our, our customers were either you know big, you know, sort of well chief executives and down of of, of AXX listed yep. entities or private equity businesses and that's the real you know sort of fire and brimstone part you know come in short period of time get a job done mm. you know make a business great and then sell it and move on to the next one mm. so i was i was on a fast learning curve there you know doing doing good work um you know doing well 
And then I had an opportunity come out of the blind side, but a really you know difficult one to resist, which was to go and essentially build a business whilst being salaried to do so. Right. So another Aussie search firm came to me and said, you know, we see what you're doing very closely aligned to our primary market, but you know we're going to give this a red hot go, but we're really not going to be able to offer you much more than a desk and a salary. Mm. Now that might be enough right? <laughs> that's certainly more, more than you have uh, you know in your own business but i remember the conversation you know with the gm going in and, and he said okay look yeah, i i know you can do this job for me i want you to do this job for me but i also really want to understand what you really want what do you want to get out of it what do you want to get out of life and career and my response was immediate and, and it, but it could have been inflammatory because because my response was why well, i want to run my own business mm. you know which is somebody who's about to offer you a salary day job might not want to hear yeah but again, you know, to him, that was the perfect response because he basically said, well, that's exactly what this is. Mm. Like, you're going to be out there by yourself with a business card that won't open any doors because mm. our brand is not known in your space at all. So you can come and inhabit the space and we'll give you as much you know, kind of support as we can. But really, it's all on you. So that was another you know, fantastic learning curve. And that was my last role in corporate. Yeah, so right, right. I left that role. And this, you know, maybe takes us on. Well, well maybe, maybe hold, hold there and, and let me do let me do my thing. People come on over to the <laughs> Go All In podcast, Tim, to learn more about others that have gone all in. And, you know, yeah. these are often stories of transition, and that's what this one is. And I'm really, really excited to, to hear about the lessons that you've learned from your commitment to success. So if you could, mate, can you share that story of transition from that corporate job? To, to what happened next. Yeah, and this, I think, is, uh, you know, is, is the launch pad for my first you know, sort of example of going all in if moving to the other side of the world with a bag of clothes is not enough of one. That just seemed like when you told that story, it's like, hey, whatever, man. Where, where do you want me to work? Where you're young, you're single. Young, single. You're doing pretty well. You've got a pocket full of money. Opportunity. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go wherever Did you is. know anyone here? Yes, but they lived in Melbourne. A couple, just two friends who lived in Melbourne. And I have some family in Sydney, but not close family. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I was completely so you're on your own. here by myself. Yeah. Did you land in Bondi? I've got to ask. No. No. <laughs> no, no, not in Bondi. That's a uh, typical British question, right? <laughs> we see the Bondi or, or, or one of those. Or yeah, or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, Kuchy, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, no, no, I, and, and without, you know, sort of wanting to in any way, you know, sort of put, you know, my own, you know, sort of people down, but I think I'd seen enough, you know, sort of backpacking around the world and, and so forth to, to really know that, I was best when I immersed myself in wherever I was. Mm. You know, I'd lived in Mexico and Guatemala in, in, in places where I'd learned Spanish in a month oh. by not speaking any English, mm. right? And as much as that was pretty painful at times, yeah. but yeah, you, you, you can get there very quickly. So I almost deliberately avoided all of the sort of classic like yeah. go to British drinking holes and so on. Mm-hmm. You know, I started hanging out with guys from Newcastle, New South Wales, mm-hmm. rather than Newcastle on Tyne. Um, you know, I spent a bit of time in Manly, but that was with those guys and lived yeah, just in, 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 in a house with just purely Aussie people and, and that was really beneficial. And I didn't hire any Brits into my team at all. So my right. team in Parramatta was entirely composed of Aussies. There was um, one woman from here, from Cronulla. Um, there was another guy from Cremorne, and then everybody else was from that part of Western Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had we had a fantastic team, I think, really because of that. Where was the new opportunity? So you transitioned from that job into the the new one. Was that also in Western Sydney? 
Uh, no, so that was so uh, that was in Milson's Point. That was where the office was. The opportunity was on the east coast of Australia. So for Derwent and for these guys, it was all about east coast of Australia. But it was really about building business uh, based on a perceived alignment between a core customer group mm-hmm. and the suppliers to that customer group, mm-hmm. and, and and sort of you know doubling down on the connectivity of the people in that market. But again, change of leader, massive change of of, of scenario. So. The GM that had hired me, you know, this really, um, you know, sort of forward-looking, you know, strategic guy, you know, he, he you know, basically couldn't navigate the market that turned against him. Um, and the founder of the business, um, you know, came came back to Sydney, having not worked in Sydney since the early 80s. Nice. And he'd gone, you know, gone to Perth and from Perth built you know, a global business, you know, tremendously successful guy but coming back to Sydney he had his very specific way that he Mm. wanted things to be done he sat down with me and in the first five minutes of the conversation he said well I wouldn't have hired you you know if if I'd known what you know the the, the, my predecessor the GM here would wanted you to do Um, but I'm glad that he did because the the work that you'll bring in is essentially the only reason why I'm keeping this office open yeah right so it's kind of yeah, it's a funny disjointed thing, right? Yeah. yeah, sort of disjoint, but but very, you know, he he didn't see me as part of his grand vision for anything. So I, you know, really sort of came back to that conversation I'd had with the GM on the way in. What did I want to do? And uh, and I started planning you know, how am I going to go and forge my own way? And I've been having this very, you know, sort of um, you know, sort of gentle avenue towards entrepreneurship with. A, a guy who, who was also um, ex-Derwent and we'd been introduced by some mutual clients on the basis that we sort of came from a, from a similar view of the world and he had then approached me with the prospect of going into partnership with him but we were pregnant with our first child at the time so I sort of said yeah that sounds great I'd love to do that it's exactly the kind of thing I'd like to do at some point but maybe let's come back to it in a few years time mm. and then when this you know change of leadership happened and the, the founder made it so clear that I just wasn't part of the plan I basically activated that discussion with a lot more, you know, sort of vigor and mm. uh, and drive, and let's make this happen. So I left that nice salaried corporate day job. Did the baby s- come in? No. Ugh. Will was Will was that's all week, in. Will was <laughs> a week away, right? So oh, really? I quit. I sat down oh, wow. with, with with John Downing, the founder of this fantastic business, a week before my son was born, and said, "John, I'm out. I'm resigning, yeah, you know, and and I'm going to go and do my own thing." Mm. And in all fairness to him, he said, "Good on you." And you know, this is very brave, but I have every confidence that you'll succeed. And you know, come back to me if you ever want any advice or support. Well, that's so a, that's, a, that's a very nice way to uh, to transition. Yeah, sometimes absolutely. people get a little bit shirty, and well, don't let the door hit you on the ass on the way out, type thing. But yeah, well, that's, I certainly that's had my nice. share of that. But on this instance, you know, he was. Yeah, he was very noble, and, and yeah, he he reflected back on some of his early career as well, and, and making sort of similar judgment calls and backing himself. So, mm. how how old were you, Tim, when you when you kind of cut the umbilical from corporate work? That was five years ago, so I was thirty three. Yeah, right, right. And had you always wanted to have your own business right from the start, or were you just kind of? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I, yeah, it depends on when you say when the start was. I mean, I can remember at uni having conversations with some of my friends, you know, in our sort of final months and you're starting to then sort of look that that bit more over the horizon and where are we all going mm. and, I, and i had this conversation then where i said yeah you know i'm never going to work for the man i'm never going to do that you know, and obviously i don't ever remember having a conversation like that right okay. but, and like here i am it's kind of a bit serendipitous that i have my own business and i've had my own businesses over the years and they've just been for me skills that i've developed along the way in corporate jobs and just helping people and you know then somebody asks you to do something and you're like yeah sure i can do that for you yeah. and somebody else asks you to do it and it's sort of like 
Yeah, well, and then they say, how much? Really? What? What do you mean? No, I'll do that for you. Yeah. Then the next person asks you how much, and then all of a sudden you find yourself in a happy accident that you've got a, a little bit of a business. And that's sort of how my evolution as an entrepreneur kind of happened. And when I left the military, we had a business, but it was kind of more by accident than by anything. Yeah. Um, and it was just right time, right place, very, very lucky. You know, it's the law of attraction, bringing everything together to make it work. But I, honestly, I never, I never had an idea of, oh, one day I'm going to be an entrepreneur and I'm going to go around the world and interview people and I'm going to do all these things. I just never had that. So it's really interesting right at the start there that you had that. It was there. You put a kind of pin in it and then later on you, you arrive here you are. Yeah, I think the inclination was there. I mean, what, what you know, then that span, you know, from mm. that conversation would have been 2001 to, you know, to, to you know, five years ago. You know, there's a lot of time working for the man. Yeah. You know, but that was time establishing a skill set and building some experience um, and finding yourself as well oh absolutely 100 percent. i mean i think you know it, it, it's wonderful to see all these you know sort of fantastic things out there about do what you love and you know just sort of you know get out there and, and have a go but if you if you haven't found yourself yeah. and if you haven't established an actual ability to do what you love by helping people yeah but you're not helping anyone yeah exactly you know, you're not serving your customers you're not helping yourself yeah, you know, and and you're following passion will only get you so far, right? Mm. And most of the time, just following passion will only get you into trouble. And sometimes following a passion takes you into an industry where there's no money. Yep. And following your passion is great. You feel good about what you do. You love what you do, but you're not making any money. It's not really helping your family. Yeah. So you know, it's not always the right thing to be doing. Sometimes you need to be a bit sensible and a bit adult about it. Tell me, what was it like when you you left? You've got all of these family things going on, and baby's coming you got the missus it's all that and even if she's okay yeah whatever it's all good you know it's still in your mind that it's there did you know anything about setting up a business and starting a business was like this is your first foray into it you know that must have been a little bit daunting yeah no it was and i mean i have to say you know i'm eternally grateful and hopefully vocally enough you know to my wife for all the support that she's given me over and through the years but especially with with the first foray into into entrepreneurship and then founding, you know, sort of genuinely my own thing as well. Mm. Yeah, she's my biggest supporter and continues to be so, and I hope she always will. But yeah, it is daunting. It's daunting in the sense of there is a lot of moving parts in running your own business, mm. right? Yeah, as, as you well know. And I think that probably has been the, the, the part that I'd underestimated. You know, that just doing the thing that you're good at, yeah. that's actually the easy bit. That's the easy your bit. Own business. <laughs> there's, there's all the other bits and pieces as well. And certainly once you start building a business and, you know, forward deploying people on your behalf to deliver mm. a service, that's really when that complexity compounds. And, and that's certainly, you know, the learning curve I've had in the three years of running 4i. Um, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you say that because I get a lot of feedback because this show is a lot about transitions. You know, you, when you go all in on something, it's it's you're going all in on leaving your job, going to, uh, to your own business, or sometimes it's the other way where the business didn't work and you could go back to a job and eat a big piece of humble pie, cap in hand type yeah, thing. Yeah, for sure. You know, and that's that's just kind of life. That's how life life goes. But it's also transitions about health, transitions about relationships. But I get a lot of feedback via email, particularly an email for these this type this topic where, oh, man, you know, I've had this business idea for ages and I'm right on the very edge of taking a jump and going all in. You know, that's what they say in the emails to me. But oh, I'm not sure how to do it. What, what should I do and how? And usually... You know, I'm endlessly surprised. I've worked in the startup space a lot. I'm endlessly surprised and amazed at the incredible ideas that people have. You know, you hear that and you think, oh, man, that'll, that'll just, just kick ass. That'll, yeah. that'll, that'll win. That'll work. But then you think, 
what does that person really know about delivery, pipelines, sales, marketing, and then accounting and the website and the socials and all of that stuff? And the answer is like inevitably nothing. Before you go all in, you might have the best idea for a product or a service, but make sure you got your ducks in a row with all of those sorts of things. So maybe make the commitment in your mind, yeah, I'm going to go all in and do that, but get your ducks in a row first yeah. and make sure they're 100% in a row. So it gives you the set yourself up for success before you take the leap out of your job into your own business. Don't just take the leap. You know, that's that can be pretty crazy sometimes. Yeah, and look, I mean, you know, you learn fast, you learn, you know, you, you, you know, fast choice. and keep going, right? <laughs> yeah. um, there is very little, you know, in life, you know, certainly, but also in business, you know, that you can't try again. Yeah. Um, yeah, just having a go is the biggest step for sure. Well, it's, also, the, it's the start that stops most people is what I say because exactly. the, the trepidation and the fear of actually, oh, my God, you know the job, you've got to cut the umbilical and, and go, you know, from your regular salary. That's the I mean, you thing. hear this a lot, you know, with, with the ultra athletes, you know, that the hardest step in any race is just, you know, Lacing stepping your off. shoes up and stepping out the front door, right? Once you've done that, you're on your way. Mm. So that's definitely it. But yeah, that that all everything that you've just touched on there, you know, that is what running a business is you know, today. Mm. Now we have a lot of apps, we have a lot of platforms. There's a lot of mobility. You don't have to spend huge amounts of money, mm. um, but you definitely need to have an appreciation for all of those elements. Mm. Otherwise, all you're doing is buying a job. Yeah, I think there's this big difference, and, and this mentor said to me a while ago, you know, there's a difference between buying a job. And running a business, yeah, you know, buying a job, you're essentially just doing a job, but you know, you're just trading off that by yourself and doing it your way, and that mm. is great. And but that's solopreneurship. That's just turning up every day, doing what you're great at for that person that day. Mm. Waking up the next day, doing it for them or somebody else. Yeah, instead of working for the man, you're kind of working for yourself. Working for yourself, yeah. right? And you're buying a job every day off a different customer. Yeah. That's awesome. But that's not enough. That's mm. not enough for me, certainly. That's not what running a business is. Mm. Yeah, running a business is all those other elements. And leading a business, that's the next layer of game. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. So tell the tell the listeners what your first business was called. Is it the same business as now? Yeah, so the first business was was uh, was you know, was this partnership. And, you know, it was started before I joined as a partner. It's called Titanium Partners. Mm-hmm. You're still running with the founder, um, Andrew Lacey-Smith, still running it. But in that sort of that first mode, right, it's, it's just him. It was just me and him. And really, that was was one of the junctions that drove the partnership, you know, mm. to its to its conclusion that, you know, he wanted to do just more of he and I doing the thing that he thought we were really really great at. I wanted to do more other things that I was really great at, and a bit like yourself, it was demand side led. So I had mm. customers coming to me saying, "Hey, can you not just do this bit of search work for us, but can you also coach some of the people that we've got in the business?" Or, you know, can you do this bit of market research for us? Or can you do, you know, some consulting work actually coming into our business and, and, and sort of, you know, tapping on some mm. of the hinges and finding out what's really driving the thing? And he didn't want to do all of that. He wanted more of a straight line, single service offering. Mm. But I wanted to build something. I always really had the sense that I was onto something and that there are particular ways of doing things and combining things that would be great to be delivered by me. But... I'm not a master of everything. I'm not a yeah. master of much. And so there are definitely better practitioners out there in these certain areas. And if I could find a way to bring a group together and combine those services mm. and then really blow that up, that that would become something you know, really quite you know, sort of interesting mm. and powerful and so much more than, than just little old me. You know, it's a, I'm not sure if you realize as you're telling me that story, because I haven't heard your story before, yeah, right? right? So um, I, I'm I'm hearing the same thing here with this partnership as I heard right at the start of your career. 
where you're in you're in this box. This is how you do the business. This is how you make it happen. And you didn't want to be in that box, and they move you to a different division. So over here, so you're in a box here with your first partner. How long did that business last? Before? It lasted for two years, just nearly, so nearly two years, decent amount of time. Decent amount of time. You've, yep. you've taken the leap into your own business, which is called Four I Four I Group. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and so now now you found your home. Yeah. Now, now you're home. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. So and it's interesting. So not long before I I met this innovation guy. So innovation was was really big back then. It was you know it was kind of the topic on everybody's watch list. And and I met this fantastic guy called Nils Vesk, who's a who's an innovation practitioner here in Sydney. And uh, I met him at a at a seminar, and uh, I you know had a quick chat with him afterwards and he was kind enough to offer to, to have a bit of a one-on-one session and and one of the things I really took away from that you know sort of uh, session with Nils was was really you know sort of have a have a process for ideation right so don't just have a good idea have an idea and then test the idea and then build the idea and then test it again and keep going and keep going and keep going and ultimately I think what that led me to was you know, I've got all these ideas. I've got these customers coming to me asking me to do stuff. Well, let's mm. actually go and test this now, and then let's let's see if this is something that's a foundation that we can build on. So, when you were with your mate, were you turning those customers away? No, I wasn't. I was servicing them, but ultimately servicing them in a way that you know, initially he sort of found a little bit sort of mysterious. And what are you doing over there? What? Yeah, what, what are you? What, like, what, is he coaching that? that person yeah. now? Okay, well. What's, what, what are you going to get out of that? And how, how are we going to get more executive search work by doing that? Or, okay, so this, you know, this, this firm want you to do this market research. Okay, well, that's just taking you away from this. And Seems like a distraction. It's a distra- it was a distraction. Yeah. Maybe it was lower margin. Was it bringing in revenue? It was definitely bringing in revenue. Um, and it was also deepening the relationship with the yeah. customer, right? Yeah. And I tell you, the one that absolutely got me and, and, and kind of grabbed me by the throat was one of my customers, you know, a guy who I respected immensely. Uh, you know, he'd been this incredibly successful executive and a chairperson. And, and he, you know, kind of come to me and, and then said, look, I, I, I need you to do this work and, and, and you're my headhunter. And I looked at him and went, oh, great. God. Okay. But you don't need me to do anything. Mm-hmm. Like, look at what you've achieved. And I'm your headhunter. Well, there's hundreds of people out there, but if, if I'm your guy, Let's go. Well, I did all this work for him, and then he turned around to me one day, and he said, "Look, can we have a?" It was after a meeting. Can we have a quick, quick conversation about something? I said, "Yeah, mate, absolutely." And basically, what he laid on me was that his one of his kids was in a a really tricky situation in his corporate role. That he was being treated in a way that was being very unproductive for him by a senior executive in the business, and essentially, Greg was asking me to coach his son. Mm -hmm. And as as a as a young parent. And I think as a parent at any stage, but there's 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 really no compliment higher yeah. than being asked to help someone's child. So, but but this was a guy who looked at me as a commercial provider, and he was looking at this as a as an exchange of skills. So so it did make me think really okay, there is something here that people are seeing, mm. and, and that is the the highest order of compliment yeah. that that I've got that capability. So I've really started to build this out to test it in the market to go to all of my customers and say if i was to say to you i'm now doing this and this and this without you know mentioning any of the track record of the fact that i was doing this already Mm. just say if i was to offer you this what would you say and you know the response was unanimous that yeah absolutely and some of them saying why haven't you said this before and if you'd said this to me six months ago i would now have asked you to do this and that and the other that i'm now paying somebody else to do and maybe or maybe not i'm happy with that service 
So, so that's kind of the catalyst for you to take yeah. the leap out of that partnership into. It all into kind of came together course. at the at, at the right time. You know, that there was the, there was a there was a you know sort of a dwindling of the of the sort of the productivity that was coming out of the partnership. We had some stuff going on in our personal life, which was really you know kind of testing, you know, sort of some of the points of resilience there, and it all just kind of came together. I just went right. It's time for a change. Another ex-colleague of mine, you know, she was freelancing, not having a fantastic time. Uh, Penny Literus, so I just said to Penny, look, I'm going to go and do something different. I don't want to do it by myself. I, I'm always better, you know, with, you know, some trusted people around me. Do awesome. you want to do this together? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we founded 4i and, and, and here we are. Very nice. Very nice. Well yeah. done. Thanks. Well done. Tell me about the name. Yeah, so it's an interesting one. It's an evolving one. So we sat down. Are you up to sixteen I yet with all the services? <laughs> I'm assuming. It, I'm yeah. assuming it's the uh, the number of services that you. No, can no, like not 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 is quite. It a box? What is it? Yeah, yeah. So 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 what it is? It's our sort of founding principles, and but what's interesting is it was our founding principles about how we deliver our services. Right. And where it's evolved to is it's basically more a sort of a of a principle of what we believe. You know, sort of leadership is and, and, and what it could be. Those right? four principles? Four principles. So initially it was inform, improve, innovate and inspire, mm-hmm. right? That we will inform, we'll you know, work to improve, we'll work you know, to innovate and we'll work to you know, activate inspiration. And what it's become, you know, as we've really kind of gotten into our work and we've you know, gotten to know ourselves and really gotten to understand how our work benefits our customers, we've, we've shifted them and there's really only one that's remained the same. Which is? Which is, do you want to take a guess? No, I don't, okay. no, no, no. <laughs> right. Because they're all good when you say okay. all those, okay. those, they all fit really nicely. Okay. So how can so, you say one's more important than the other? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and it's not that any of those original ones are, are unimportant, but I think we've just, we're essentially, I, the way I see it, we've elevated the game. Right. Right. So what we're now saying, and it, it is more about, you know, the construct of what is leadership, is that it's imagine, ignite, immerse and inspire nice right and so what we mean by that is essentially you know if you're going to lead the first thing you need to do is imagine mm-hmm. you know, imagine what your leadership can 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 deliver uh, and and in the the most sort of evolved form and, and one of my sort of key tenants to my philosophy is leaders create a better world mm. so the first thing you've got to do is imagine a better world mm. then how your leadership is going to create that better world um, and once you've done that then you can think about the ignition component how do you actually ignite you know this dream this yeah, vision that, idea, that you've come up with you know and, and how do you ignite your own potential and how do you ignite the potential in the people that you lead the immersive part is a little bit tactical i think that that's something which is really necessary you know, at this sort of moment culturally when, you know, essentially if, if you don't intentionally immerse yourself in whatever you're doing and whatever's in front of you, right? You know, I'm not sitting here with a laptop in front mm. of me right now. I'm not, you it's know, checking the phone. Yeah, we're, we're here, yeah. we're having this conversation. Yeah. And I think as a leader, that is a skill mm. that needs to be focused and, 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 and really brought to the fore. You know, I see it time and time again, you know, people having conversations with me with somebody that they're saying, I, I really want to set you up to succeed, but they're having that conversation through a laptop. Mm. You know, or they're, oh, I've just got to quick, hang on a second, I've just got to quickly do that. Oh, this is, you know, Sky I've got to take this phone call. Yeah. Uh, you know, just immerse yourself, just give yourself to that focus for that period of time. Um, and then inspire. I mean, that's the consistent one, right? And I think we know what that is. You know, the leader's role is really to inspire the greatness, you know, to inspire those that look up to them. Mm to step up and, and to become 
um, and also really to inspire, you know, sort of, you know, with a brand, you know, mm. with a personal brand, with an organizational brand, this is what we are to the marketplace. And then to activate that law of attraction and bring just the right customers, bring just the right people to mm. you. And really what underpins all of that, you know, is, is the values that the leader, you know, sort of defines for themselves and, and lives and you know, holds themselves beholden to. No, I, I, lo- I love how you've got that definition of those four things. And uh, recently on uh, on one of my favorite podcasts on the on the Jocko podcast, and for people that are listening, I'm pointing at a picture of Jocko next to me. Uh, <laughs> he was he on three on three episodes. Him and his mate Dave Burke, and Dave was in the Marines. They read the doctrine that they give to young Marine yep. officers that yep. are in uh, in boot camp. And so these young officers are there and, you know, you, you're reading through the SOPs and it's really – it's like a document about how you're supposed to behave yep. almost and, and what constitutes good leadership. And continually through the front end of that document, they talk about imagination. Right. Yeah, but Dave says when you're at boot camp in the Marines, the drill sergeants don't say imagination, they say creativity. Yeah, which is just a just a synonym for yeah, imagination. But as you read the document, what they're saying is, yes, there is certain ways of doing things, and you know, to use a, use the infantry battlefield stuff is there's ways that you have to call in artillery. There's ways you call in mortars. There's ways you call in heavy machine guns or airstrikes. There's methods to do that. But how you do that is up to your imagination. It's up to your creativity. Yeah. Yeah. And throughout that document, that's kind of the theme of it. And I was really, as I was listening to these two guys as a fly on a wall on their podcast, listening to all of that, I was really taken aback by how much kind of latitude that they were given. And that's what made them so good, you know, because Marines win battles. They don't win wars. And the way you win the battle is by being creative. And throughout the document, they cite some of the battles that have happened throughout the Marines' history, like in World War II, when they got to storm these beaches in the Pacific and then the Japanese are just dug in. and it's just, They just can't see where they are. They're getting carved up. What do you do? And they, they cite different, different times where they had to be really creative and really imaginative to solve the problems and to, to make these things happen. And I think we lack that a little bit in modern society, to be imaginative enough and when I, after I'd listened to the, you know, I think it was maybe six or seven hours of these two rabbiting on about leadership and creativity and imagination, I was, I was left with a feeling that I need to be more imaginative in the way that I actually go and do things. Sure, there's, a, there's an outcome that I'm looking for. Sure, there's a, an idea that I've got. But to get my people, my staff and my team to do what it is that I need them to do, I think I need to be a bit more creative to get there. And then, then there's the execution part of that as well, of course. And I think there's a bit of inspiration that comes in there as well. When you come up with a good idea, people are like, man, that's a that's a really good, all right, let's give it a go. And then they get behind you and rally behind you to do that. Do you see that in organisations? They lack imagination or they need to kind of, they need a little nudge to go, hey, come on, you know, be a bit more creative. Oh, look, I mean, I, I think everything you've just said is, is, is exactly on point. And, you know, to hear that imagination is is sort of at the crux of something like, you know, the Marine, the Marine SOP cool. charter, you know, cool. is perfect because I think, most people looking outside in, you know, at what, and it's not helped by you know, movies mm. like Full Metal Jacket and so on, you know, which really looks at like indoctrination and homogeneity and everyone has the same haircut. And well, so when forth. you watch but, a movie like that, you think there's no way in the world that those, how could they be imaginative absolutely. about anything? It's like, yeah. there's a machine gun, go and get it. Type yeah. Thing. yeah, it's weird. But then when you look, you look at, you know, the sort of the, the pinnacle of, you know, like the, Marine Recon Force or, mm. you know, the Aussie SAS, you know, the Navy SEALs, you know, those guys are enabled mm. through very rigorous training, 
habitualization of everything that they just need to be able to do, right? Mm. Whether it's stripping a weapon down or it's, you know, operating covertly, you know, in, in blending in with the environment, whatever it is, you know, they have the skills established. But once they have the skills, they're essentially set loose. Mm. And that you go solve the problem. Mm. You have the skills, we have your back, you solve the problem and mm. you tell us what you're going to do. And if you have imagination, you can't solve a problem mm. unless you've encountered that problem, specifically exactly that problem before. So at the organizational level, to answer your question, I see this all the time. I see this every day. But what I put it down to is there's not necessarily a lack of imagination, but there's a lack of cultivation of how that imagination can come to the fore. Or there is a lack of imagination specifically because you've got a very you know, homogenized group of people. And I'm afraid to say, I think, especially you know, in, in, in Australia today, we really suffer from this. Uh, you know, it's something that you know, is a real topic, you know, uh, increasingly uh, you know, around just you know, Aussie businesses just want to hire someone who's done the job for the competition. <laughs> they must be from the industry. They must have had this experience. And look, there are certain roles that, you must have the experience, right? Like you're not going to, in the military, you're not going to you know, lie there with a battle wound and have someone who's got no corpsman's training fix yeah. a wound, right? But there are things that you absolutely must you know, sort of have done somewhere else. Mm. Right? Again, if we use the military connotation, you know, if you're navigating an environment and you come across a river that you've now got to traverse to get to your objective, well... Does it matter if the person in your squad traversed that river when they were a paratrooper or they're in, you know... It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Just we need to get across the river. How do we get there? So I think that there's there's that. There's this sort of starving of the organization's opportunity to bring imagination through experience Mm. from just not having enough diversity. And diversity to me at an organizational level, you know, is about... You know, cognitive diversity, it's about experiential diversity, it's about age diversity, it's about point of origin diversity, it's about linguistic diversity, it's about gender diversity, it's about pretty much everything, mm. even sexual orientation. You know, all of those different elements will give you people's perspectives that have enough variety that you've got a really good imagination cocktail there mm. and you're going to get some interesting outcomes. The more significant thing is how imagination is nurtured. And essentially, for the most part, what that comes down to is do people feel safe to explore their ideas mm. with the organization? Mm. Right? And all of the most successful organizations that I've seen and studied, people feel safe to experiment with their ideas. You know, there is a level of tolerance, at least, of we want to hear a different view, mm. right? Mm. And then there's a level of tolerance of we're going to try that, and if it doesn't work, mm. that's okay, yeah. right? You know, it's the whole winners and learners thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like no, there is no loss here. Yep. It's just a learning experience, and I get it. I'm in a business. I can't afford to fail fiscally that much, but, you know, fail fast, fail cheap, keep going. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, I think particularly post-GFC, you know, there's been a real turn away from failure if it's going to cost us anything. Mm. You know, is it going to cost us a quarterly results blip? You know, mm. Is it going to cost us, you know, sort of a, a, a point you know, of an EBITDA return that we guaranteed our investors we're going to get? Mm. And I think there's actually almost an unwillingness to say, we're going to try something, it might not work. Yep. But this is what we might get out of it. This is what we will learn from it. And we're going to give it a go. Mm. Yeah, beautifully said. I, I, I've had a lot of leadership conversations outside of the podcast in the last couple of, probably in the last two months. I must have had 
20 or 30 conversations just with people that work in the corporate world. And there's one that really stood out to me, and I want to share it with you and and get your kind of views on it as somebody in the industry. So this particular person... worked in, the, in a government organization. I'm not going to name the people or the organization or what it was just because I want to maintain the anonymity there. But they worked in the organization and their role was in an awards department. It's actually a pretty cool job. So the government gives out awards and corporate businesses supply cash rewards and they supply all sorts of benefits to help people with their careers. So it inspires people within government organizations to or in a government job to do good because you can win something yeah. and it's a yeah. good incentive and the prizes are awesome and the corporates that sponsor it are just awesome and there was one particular one so this new project was dumped on this person's desk and she went away and she had to facilitate the actual project and usually there's a if you're going to apply to win something you have to go through an application process and tell me why you think you should win and it's government so you've got to tick a lot of boxes and make all of that sort of stuff happen and this person went over there to to see that and the people that were were running and selecting the people to get the awards it was just a box box ticking exercise tick 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 they ticked all the boxes and they just gave it to to random people that applied there was no facilitation there was no anything and she was left going well that's all a bit of a farce right anyway Fast forward a couple of months, she comes up for a performance appraisal and her her boss says to her, well, you know, we thought that you could have been a bit more enthusiastic about that award. And she said, why? Well, the last person that did it was really enthusiastic about it. And she was saying, well, did you know that they did this, that it was just a, a box ticking exercise? Did you know that they didn't really go through the process of application and selecting the right person for the right thing? And they went, oh, No. Mm. And she said, how can I be enthusiastic about something that seems like a box ticking exercise and actually all the corporates that are investing money into it are just like, well, if they knew that that was going on, well, that would be bad. And so she kind of gets a little bit of a reprimand about what happens and her bad attitude, but her bad attitude is strictly related to the, the fact that it's just a farce, right? And they're like, well, why didn't you come and see us? And when I heard that, I thought right there, is the failure of leadership, right? Because you've got, in my experience, in my organizations and the people that I've employed over the years and the people that I employ now, of course, is you've got to have relationships with people up and down the chain of command, to use the the military analogy, because I don't know how to say that any other way, really, or within an organization, you know? You've got to have relationships with the people that are below you doing the work that you're instructing them to do. And likewise, they should have a good enough relationship with you where they can feel comfortable, and you mentioned it before, where they can come to you and say, well, here's an idea I've got, or, hey, Rob, this is not working out, this is not good, and I don't feel like, oh, God, what does that person want again? Or they're not an embuggerance to me because I've got a good enough relationship with that person where they feel comfortable in bringing that to me. And it was a really good example of this example, that I, this long-winded example that I'm going through of a massive failure of leadership because they said it was her fault that she had a bad attitude. But she was not in an environment where she felt comfortable enough that where she could go to a boss and go, hey, do you know this is going on? Even if she did that, the boss would go, oh, get out of here. What do you want me to do about it? And just be completely dismissed like that. And then after hearing that little story and then hearing a, a couple of different versions of it, a couple of different flavors of it, you just go, damn, I'm glad I don't work in that office. Mm. It's just really like you kind of go to work, you've got a job to do, she does the job really well, doesn't mind what she does because it's kind of pretty interesting and you're 
it's like a nice thing to give out awards and to help people and to advance their careers and to all those sorts of things. But the people around her and, and the environment in which she's in is just really repressive. And that's just a complete and total failure of leadership. And for me, when I look at that as an outsider and I hear those stories as an outsider, is it's that person just not taking personal responsibility for themselves. And they seem to be a promoted and elevated within an organization just because they've been there the longest or they might have this degree or that degree they're a little bit more qualified to be there but it doesn't mean that they're qualified to be the leader oh absolutely and i think you know whenever you you know sort of find a you know sort of a challenge with with somebody who's who's you know over promoted um most of the time it, it, it's, it's down to those two things it's mm. either just a tenure-based promotion or it's a functional excellence equals leadership excellence yeah when of course it's rare. very, very rare. rare. And, and that, you know, I look back to me in my mid-20s and that's exactly what my scenario was. I was mm. promoted above my level of ignorance because I was very, very good at what I did. But because I was good at what I did didn't make me good at what I then needed to do yep. as a leader. So I think that, that, that absolutely is there. But, I mean, you know, listening to, to your analogy there, and again, you know, I see you know, examples like this every day, you know, with the corporates you know, you know, and, and, and the organizations that we work for at large. You know, oh, we did this. You know, we, we had this flag from our board that, you know, we needed to be more inclusive. So therefore we've done this, but it didn't work. We're not getting the engagement, you know, or people were coming to us and, and we didn't, you know, we didn't really sort of get the, you know, the engagement out of them that we wanted. So when I kind of distill everything down, like all of these examples and, and, and your analogy as well, I think ultimately what it, what it comes down to is one thing the leaders need to do the work on themselves mm. before they can do the work on others. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's a you know, just a sort of a primary virtue. But then what should that work be? And for me, a lot of the time, it comes down to values. Mm. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I was going to, I asked you before this interview, is there something specifically you wanted to talk about? And you said values-based leadership. And, it, and when people say statements, sometimes those statements just really resonate with you. And I'm not sure what it was, but it's like, that's exactly how all leadership should be. Yeah, and, and I think that's it because it really resonates with me because I, I treat people the way that I expect to be treated. I, I think maybe I'm a little bit too harsh sometimes, uh, but that's because I'm quite harsh with myself and I have a high expectation of myself and I lay that expectation on other people. And that's completely values-based, right? And when you said that, oh, I want to talk about values-based leadership, I was like, all right, that's, that's cool. So, Matt, <laughs> Let, let me, you, you talk about it. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, it, it's very much what it says on the tin, mm. right? You know, have values, define what they are, live them, mm. and then let those values lead, right? That's it. That's enough. Yeah. I'll stop there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I think, again, you know, why do I say this is important? You know, looking through the lens of, you know, client conversations over such a long period of time now, well, at 38, I've been doing this for 15 years, and I could reflect back to leadership experiences from when I'm age 11. When I see an organization, you know, a team or a whole enormous global corporate really humming along, just doing what they do, and you look at it from the outside and you go, oh, just they must, they must be just mm. nailing it every mm. day. And then you get in there and you're not. There's lots of strife and there's lots of turmoil. And you know when you're going day by day, it looks like there's a lot of friction. But the ones that are succeeding with all of that friction is there's this healthy tension based around values. We know what we're doing. We know that we're all around this campfire together and that, that we've come together because of you know, our core values that might be, you know, customer centricity, you know, integrity, trust, 
whatever it'll be. It's right? kind of it's kind of like culture, but it's at before culture. It's before you got, culture. You, you got to have the the values, and the values foster the culture, which fosters the the results that you get from. Yeah, the, from I mean, the team you know, the, the the term for culture, you know, and basically, you know, the 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 name for the way we do things around here. Yeah, um, that I, I don't think that that's really sufficient anymore. Mm. You know, I mean, culture is at the surface level. Again, when you walk in and you take a little litmus sample of it, yeah, it's what you do around here. Mm. But really, culture is a set of shared beliefs, right? And beliefs are founded on values, mm. right? So, you know, all cultures, all religions, all orthodoxies are founded on a specific set of values, mm. which essentially, to one of the comments you made earlier, this is okay behavior. This is not okay behavior, mm. right? Do this, good. Brings everybody together. <laughs> we get a productive outcome. Do that, not good. Fractures people undermines the outcome mm. yeah so organizations that really have a set of values clearly defined they talk about them you know they have them up on the board yeah that's great but then they actually have a clearly defined set of behaviors that are quite often you know kpi'd against mm. and then people talk about them all the time oh you know what johnny did over there that was a great example of integrity you know what deirdre did over there that was a beautiful example of trust mm. you know what you know Jamal did over there, that was awesome because that was so customer centric. You know, like stayed overnight, you know, did whatever he needed to do. And we're calling it out for him because he's, you know, a humble guy and he won't shout it out for himself. Yeah. You know, these are the organizations that succeed, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you go all the way back to, you know, the beginnings of Apple, you know, and, and then those, I mean, these are the obvious ones, right? But that was a core set of values. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to democratize computing. Mm-hmm. Okay. How are you going to make money out of that? Mm-hmm. We don't know. But we know that this is a good idea, and if we stick to these values, so this is a funny thing. You know, I, I have the, you know conversations with leaders all the time, coaching conversations where we talk about values, and you know one of the questions I often start with is, "What are your personal values?" No, well, that's that's don't worry about business. I was going to go there and say that. What yeah. are your personal yeah. values? And then a little bit later on, I say, "Okay, so how are you going to bring these values into your leadership?" And yeah. a lot of the time, people really sort of stop to pause and they say, "Oh, hang on, but." No, 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 but you know, my, my, these are my personal values. These are just for me. Mm. And then the organizational values, they're, they're different. They're over here. I'm like, okay, well, why is there such a chasm there? Why are you having to make that leap? And again, that quite often stops people, and, 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 and ultimately they come up with a response along the lines of, well, my values won't fit within the organization. And that, you know, when we then unpack that, I think we often find that either they basically feel that they are in an organization where what's written on the wall aligns with their personal values but they actually don't believe that the organization believes that yeah you know and often that's because there's been some contradiction like you know this conversation that you had well this government agency you know they 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 have these values of inclusion and and rewarding what's right but then when you get down to it those values aren't really lived so it's essentially all bullshit and we're just not going to show up Mm. what's the point there's nothing in it for us we'll just keep moving Mm. you know so there's there's that that kind of you know distrust mistrust that the organizational values are sincere or there's actually a recognition that the organizational values don't align with the personal ones so i kind of take this right back to okay so if you're going to have organizational values all you really need to do is be sincere about what they are mm. profit for me is not a value it's an outcome of your values right but if you want to say first and foremost our primary you know responsibility as a corporate is to make you know profit so that we can reward our shareholders that's okay yeah but just talk about that a lot and make it sincerely all about that and reward people just with money 
don't tell them that <laughs> you believe in all this other stuff and then wonder why they're confused when they don't actually feel that. Yeah. You know, but then if you do believe that there is more than just profit, you know, know that actually having a core set of values as a business makes your life easier mm-hmm. and actually makes it easier to make a profit because if you have values and you live them, you will actually attract customers who share your values. Mm-hmm. People will come to you and spend their money with you because they see your values and they feel them through their customer experience being lived and they want to give you that your mon- their money, right? They want you to be profitable because they believe in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that as much as Apple has a beautiful design ethos and they've created this fantastic community, people will spend more on an Apple product because they believe that Apple shares the values that they have about you know, freedom mm. and you know, making a choice and all of that kind of great stuff. It also makes it easier to attract great people to work for you, mm. which is a big problem as a growing business, mm-hmm. that there's not a huge amount of awesome talent out there. That's certainly the perception. But also what it means is you're not just hiring a skill set. You know, I mean, one of the main reasons why recruiters exist is because just hiring a skill set is not enough. Yeah. You know, you've got to hire a belief system. You've got to hire a personality match. You've got to hire a culture fit. Well, what's a culture fit if it's not an alignment of values? Mm. But then how many organizations interview based on values? None. (laughs) Not enough. (laughs) Not enough. Put it that way. Tim, if somebody's listening to this, they've found themselves in a leadership position. I mean, podcasters and people interviewing other experts always ask these questions you're looking for the for the one thing what's the one thing that can make me the world champion mma fighter you know there is no one thing it's like 20 years of training and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know five years worth of commitment to do it to get there but if you if you found yourself in a leadership position and you know usually when you're in a management position and you've got a team of people to look after something goes wrong and my experience has been that if something didn't go quite right and I handled a situation, sometimes I find myself debriefing myself saying, well, probably could have handled that better. Probably shouldn't have said that. Probably should behave a bit better and try and refine those points and to work on those points. But how do I have a little bit more self-awareness about when I'm in these circumstances? What can I do before I get to that point where I've got to debrief myself? Is it something to do with maybe working a little bit harder on my personal values and to having a little bit more of a, a look inside of myself to understand what those personal values are and how they align to the workplace that I'm in? Yeah, look, I think that would certainly be a big part of it. And certainly if you haven't spent any time you know, doing you know, a, a sort of a values framework. Because as you're saying it, I'm going... I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. <laughs> I should do that. <laughs> yeah. And again, and listeners would be thinking the I, same thing. That's a good I, idea. You know, I spend a lot of time, you know, all day, every day, you know, with leaders of organizations, big and large, you know, and there's 10 of us now, so I can 10x all of my yeah, you know, nice. sort of exposures, you know, with the everybody else. Um, and we, we don't hear enough leaders say, oh, 100%, I've, mm. got, my, I've got my values framework either there it is off the top of my head or I'll just go get it and and, and now we can really explore and how I lead you. So that's the 101, do that. Mm. But like any ideation process, do it and test it. Mm. And I think there is an extent to which, you know, you need to be appropriately vulnerable with this kind of stuff because, again, I think that there can be a real disparity and a disconnect between what somebody might, you know, intrinsically believe their values are with how 
those values are interpreted and felt by the people in and around them. You know, so share them, you know, with your life partner, you know, share them with a trusted mentor, share them with a coach. If you don't have a coach, get a coach. Mm-hmm. You know, a coach can be a, a, a friend who understands you well enough to challenge you when you say something and then hold you accountable to saying what you're going to do. I mean, that's yeah. basically what a coach is for. But if you don't have a friend like that or you want to use a friend like that for something else, you know, go and get a coach. But I think the other thing is, you know, and, and I don't know on a number of your interviews, you know, you ask about routines and sort of ways to sustain optimal performance and so on. I think you've also got to, to an extent, do that work on yourself as well, because, you know, with this you know, sort of massive, uh, just constant invasion and disruption of attention, you know, it, it, it's very difficult to, and I do appreciate, you know, sort of the, the leadership battle with that. I live it every day. You know, you've got to pay attention to your intention. Mm. So if your intention is to have a value-centered leadership style, you've really got to pay a lot of attention to that and you've got to have an accountability framework and it can also extend to your team. Mm. You know, sit with your team. What do you think my values of leadership are? What have you guys experienced? You may not like what they tell you, yeah. uh, but that'll be a very insightful experience to have. And I think if you can be vulnerable and humble enough to do that, you can then you know sort of internalize that, reflect on it, share again with a life partner, with the coach or whoever, and say, okay, so that, if that's where I'm at today, what's the next small step forward? Well, what's that tiny change mm-hmm. that I can make today? You know, it's a bit of a sort of a false data point because it's not as simple as that. But if you make a 1% change every day, after 100 days, you're 37 times better, Yeah. You know, right? It's, it's not just 100% improvement. Like there's yeah. a massive incremental change. So the reason it's a false data point is nobody can maintain a 1% change every day over time. But you know, if, you, if you aspire to be better as a leader, you know, define your values, test them, you know, be vulnerable, listen to the feedback, and then you know, sort of basically have an accountability framework to get a tiny increment better every day and keep going, keep checking, keep getting feedback, progress will be made. There I am going, oh, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Some good value bombs in there, mate. Thank Thanks, you mate. so much for sharing that. It's really, really, really insightful and, and very valuable uh, information there as well. Tim, as we're nudging up against an hour and uh, 20 minutes, mate, I, I think this this conversation on leadership could go uh, much, much longer. I'd love to have you come back and maybe we can yeah, work sure on thing. some Thank you. specific case studies and learn some lessons from some case studies. I love the idea of what Jocko and Dave Burke did when they were unpicking a document like that as well, but maybe some real-world, non-military, corporate-type uh, case studies would be a lot of fun. By all means, well. love to. And maybe bringing somebody else in as a third party to kind of have a bit of fun with that as well it adds a different dynamic. Would you be up for that? 100%. Let's do it. All right, awesome. Mate, I can't let you go. I can't let you leave the goal in podcast without putting you in the uh, in the hot seat as the interview comes to the, to the end. One of the things that you wrote in the pre-interview questions uh, for me is that You'd been to more than 42 different countries. That's incredible, man. Have you got a, a favorite <laughs> holiday destination? I have a, my favorite holiday destination is actually pretty much where I live. South Coast, New South <laughs> South Wales. South Coast, New South Wales, if you put it that way. Where, whereabouts in Nara? So I live in the bush just outside Nara. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, yeah, so one of your questions, Beach or Bush, my, my response is always Bush. And that's mm-hmm. really due to where I grew up, right? I didn't grow up on the water. Mm-hmm. If you grew up in the water in England, you basically like being really, really cold all the time. Um, <laughs> But, um, yeah, I grew up running around in the woods, and, and, and that's absolutely what I do here. I trail run, I mountain bike, and, you know, my kids awesome. have got kind of free range, you know, where, where they go, you know, juggling snakes and what have you. And, um, you know, just 
you know, the Shoalhaven is is one of the most spectacular parts of the world, in my opinion. Isn't it? I would agree. I lived there for many years as well. Yeah, that's a conversation over a beer at some time. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, outside of outside of Aussie, yeah, I think it would be uh, it would be two M's. It would be Mexico and Morocco. Wow. Yeah, two we'll, completely we'll opposite ends of the world. Polar opposite spectrums. You know, I've had you know personal you know real sort of life changing moments in in both of those countries, mm-hmm. um, and um, you know, real great affinity with with both of those cultures. Very nice. What's Morocco like? Morocco is a really interesting, I think, sort of snapshot of, you know, sort of Northeast African or Northwest African culture. It's very friendly. It's very hospitable. You know, they they really sort of, you know, live, you know, the the, the Muslim, the the Islamic Mm. value of, you know, a stranger is a guest, Mm. kind of until proven otherwise. Yeah, right. And, uh, you know, I I went there by myself, you know, in my sort of early 20s and ended up having this sort of completely spontaneously facilitated experience just going out into the desert with one man and one camel um <laughs> you know and having this incredible adventure in the sand dunes that great food great people and, and a really immersive experience to be had in morocco it almost sounds like indiana jones <laughs> yeah, kind of brought a full circle for just me. sans whip yeah, no no whipping involved <laughs> beautifully said mate do you have a uh, do you have a favorite author i have many favorite authors i mean if we if we if we talk about you know, just sort of best, you know, sort of kind of of writing. You know, it'd have to be someone like Tolkien, mm-hmm. you know, just to really immerse yourself yeah. in an entirely different world. I mean, mm. probably a little bit too much singing in some of the <laughs> the sort of the original works. But, yeah, I mean, as a guy to just sit down and just create a whole universe. There's that, a movie coming out about him. <laughs> about him? About him. Yeah, yeah. okay, yeah, fantastic. Because yeah. he was like a World War One vet, right? I think so. And he came back and he wrote all those stories. And, and, he, and, he, and he was then a, a professor of Nordic, yeah. I think, at Oxford or Cambridge. Yeah, um, yeah. And it was his linguistic base that took him into the yeah. the whole sort of uh, yeah the whole sort of Lord of the Rings universe. Um, but then I mean, it, but then if it comes to leadership and you know and, and sort of authors on that side, I, I sort of reeled a few off uh, last week. One of my coaching counterparts asked me this question from last year. Uh, this is fantastic book called Rebel Talent, which I think you know, all Australian leaders should read. And this really is looking at how people who break rules can do so in a way which is really, really productive. Mm-hmm. And that was written by a, a Harvard business uh, professor called Francesca Gino. Uh, so that's a fantastic one. And, and what I really like about Francesca's writing is it be almost like a transcript from a podcast conversation. Yeah, right. right? It's just very free-flowing. You yeah. could read it on a, on a plane. Certainly, you know, if you're flying up to Asia anytime, grab that. You've finished it by the time you know, the wheels are down in Tokyo or wherever. And you know, something a little bit, uh, you know, sort of maybe again touching on, on vulnerability. I know it's a big one, but Brene Brown, I've read pretty much everything that she's written. And mm. her you know, sort of book on leadership, you know, the last one that she wrote, Dare to Lead, uh, again, is a, is a really, really poignant one. Yeah, I, I realised the other day these books sitting next to me here, they're all they're all war stories, right? <laughs> I, I think I need to balance up the other side of that equation okay. with a bit more heartfelt stuff. Or maybe not. I just need to read some more marine doctrine. Maybe that'll kind of just keep me on that <laughs> side. Whatever works for you, right? Whatever works, right? Whatever works. All right, hey, what's a uh, what's a skill that you haven't mastered yet? How long's the list? <laughs> Stand-up paddleboarding, definitely need to get better at that. Are you into that? We should do some out Yeah, here. we could. Okay, let's yeah. sup. Let's go sup. Yeah, That's yeah. for sure. Yeah, I think... Yeah, Actually, one which I surprised myself with when I did a did a, did a measurement for for a tool that we were going to bring into the business was emotional intelligence. Mm. I mean, EQ is a skill, right? Mm. It is definitely something that you can bring established capability to, uh, but it is far more learnable, trainable, developable than IQ. And I thought 
you know, I was pretty crash hot. Um, with, <laughs> until uh, you do a test. Until you do a test, you kind of go, oh, yeah. <laughs> kind of right in the middle there. But, yeah, that's that's still a work in progress. It always will be. And what I put it down to, I try and kind of buy myself out of that um, assessment to an extent, is when I did the test, I just had my second child, and there is nothing like sleep deprivation to diminish your EQ. <laughs> um, well, that's really interesting. Yeah. It's, it's a really important point. You, you know, you, you, and so, I mean, really, you know, sort of the, the, the primaries of emotional intelligence are around you know, sort of observing, you know, responding, managing emotion, mm. and then, you know, sort of you know, basically from a leadership perspective, you know, enabling others, you know, to work with their emotions. And, you know, you just really struggle to pick up the markers and interpret emotion when you're exhausted. Mm. I mean, it sounds so obvious to say it, but yeah. when you're in it, you know, and, and you're, just, you're powering along on caffeine or whatever it is to get you through the day, yeah, you're just not going to pick up those markers. You know, yeah. your prefrontal cortex is essentially switched off when you're sleep deprived. You go back into that kind of survival mammalian brain, yeah. and it just it, it, it's not enough. It's not enough. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. All right, last one for the hot seat quiz. What's the best piece of business advice that you've ever received? I think the best piece of advice that I've been given, which I absolutely endorse as a piece of business advice, is uh, is sent. Is essentially a triplicate. It's you know, respect yourself, believe yourself, and trust yourself. Beautiful, beautifully said. Beautifully Thanks, said. mate. Well, Tim, thank you so much for coming on the Golden Podcast, mate. If people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, the best way is uh, is LinkedIn, which is just you know Tim Collins you know, at, at LinkedIn.com or the website, which is fouraleadership.com, and all of my contact details are there. Excellent. And you got a little gift for the listeners today, haven't you? Yeah, I do. Something so about emotional that, intelligence? Yeah, that was my little segue there. So so we've got an emotional intelligence course, the free version of which is live on our website today. Uh, if you go to eqlearnt at 4iLeadership.com, uh, there's a free version there. And for the listeners of this show, we've got the next layer of that course is due to release at the end of September. Nice. Uh, so that's a paid option where you can kind of you know pick your own adventure. There'll be different focal elements within the emotional intelligence landscape. Choose whichever one you think is you're going to benefit from the most or you know, kind of build the whole course. And there'll be a coupon code available, go all in, of course, that you can type in to get a discount at checkout. Very nice, very nice. And if you're listening to this podcast on your phone, just take a peek at the show notes and all of the links to uh, Tim's LinkedIn and to his website and to that offer are right there. And if you're watching this video on Facebook or YouTube, just scroll on down and the links are right there in the show notes for you as well. Well, Tim, thank you again for coming on the show, mate. Have you got a parting comment, a parting shot for us, mate? Oh, mate, just uh, you know, lead well, lead with values, have a good time. I love it, mate. All right, thanks again for coming on the show. We look forward to speaking with you soon. Bye for now. Well, there you have it, folks. If you want to connect with Tim, just take a peek at your phone and you'll see all of the links to his website and his socials right there. So you're not going to have to go digging around them in Google. They're right there on your phone. And if you're watching this video on Facebook or YouTube, just scroll on down and all of the links are right there in the description. Don't forget, if you're looking in YouTube, to hit that subscribe button and ring the bell while you're there as well. And if you like what you heard today, I'd love it. I'd absolutely love it if you could leave us a review. That helps us out here at the show a whole boatload as well. And likewise, if you enjoyed the content today, please make sure that you share it round so more people can hear the go all in message. 
As always, if you've got a question or a comment or just some feedback, you can reach out via the Go All In socials or you can send me an email at any time. Just visit goallin.com.au for more information. Well, that wraps it up for the show today. So whatever it is that you're working on, whatever you're doing, get busy, get to it and go all in. I'll see you next time. 